Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I am Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is the 11th day of our series, and we'll be looking at the first section of St. Catherine's Treatise of Prayer on the theme of the Eucharist and the perfection of love. We'll be starting with the subsection of the means which the soul takes to arrive at pure and generous love, and we'll continue through the subsection of the signs by which the soul knows she has arrived at perfect love. This is a beautiful topic for us to begin with as we ponder the meaning and the importance of prayer. Let us open with a prayer that St. Catherine herself wrote and prayed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal God, eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our last segment, the tenth in this series, the Father revealed to Catherine how important it is to allow the grace of God to draw one beyond servile fear toward filial fear and the perfection of love. Although servile fear may move someone to leave behind patterns of serious sin and move them to begin to walk with the Lord, it is never sufficient to remain at the level of servile fear. This is because servile fear is still more concerned with self-love than with the love of God and of neighbor. The person who walks in servile fear rejects sin because it leads to unhappiness or because it incurs punishment. So it's not a rejection of sin in itself as evil or as an offense against God. In other words, the person in servile fear is still seeking his or her own benefit more than that of another. If one begins in servile fear, it is necessary to continue to pray and seek to root out sin and to strive to live virtuously in order to grow in grace and friendship with the Lord toward filial fear. Filial fear is rooted in true self-knowledge, in which souls love God so much that they fear anything that might harm their relationship with God. In order to ascend beyond the purifying state of the first step of the bridge, 
love that looks beyond self must be achieved. And as one reaches the second step of gazing on the heart of Christ, such love is awakened all the more. A person who walks in filial fear rather than servile fear knows how loved he or she is and is therefore drawn to love God and neighbor with true charity. This not only deepens and perfects the love within that soul, but it assures that the person will not abandon the bridge and return to the deadly path of the river. When fear is still rooted in selfishness, it is easy to be enticed by the pleasures of this world. Whereas the more perfect love becomes, the less likely it is for the soul to lose sight of its true good in the Lord. As we move into the first section of the Treatise of Prayer, the Father points out to Catherine that prayer is the chief means by which a soul arrives at pure and generous love. The opening of this section is truly beautiful. The Father says to Catherine, when a soul has passed through the doctrine of Christ crucified with true love of virtue and hatred of vice, and has arrived at the house of self-knowledge and entered therein, she remains with her door barred in watching and constant prayer, separated entirely from the consolations of the world. It is worth noting from the life of St. Catherine herself that even though she's deservedly famous for her service to the poor and her diplomatic relations with church and state, before she set out to do either, she spent three full years in a room in her family home in constant prayer, discovering herself in the Lord and learning from Him how to love. The Father says that the reason prayer is the choice activity of the soul is that she is aware of her own imperfections and she longs to arrive at a more pure and generous love. If a soul knows God and herself in truth, she knows that only by grace and by an increase in faith and virtue will she ever attain the desires of her soul. The Father tells Catherine that the only reason to break off from praying is for the sake of obedience or out of charity for a serious need of one's neighbor. He tells her this because he warns her that the devil often tries to lead someone who is dedicated to prayer away from prayer, since he knows the good it will do. The evil one tries to tell a person who prays that it is useless, since he knows that if a person commits herself to prayer in faith and in charity, she will move beyond his attacks. The Father tells Catherine that there are three qualities of prayer that will lead one to acquire every other virtue. That is prayer that is humble, continual, and faithful. Humble because it will lead a person to know herself in truth and know how much she relies on God. Continual, she will not break off praying for anything except, as the Father already told her, the needs of charity or if she is asked to do so in obedience. And faithful, that she is filled with the virtue of faith, not praying in words only, but from the depths of her being. He warns her that both the weakness of her own humanity and the wiles and lies of the enemy conspire to, to draw her away from prayer. Among the sure defenses against the evil one, the father instructs Catherine, the most powerful 
is the blood of Christ, which he says, inebriates the soul and clothes her with the fire of divine charity. Here, the Father refers to the inn found on the bridge of Christ, which is the church. He speaks to Catherine of the ordained priest, whom he calls the vicar of Christ, who holds the keys of the blood. This phrase becomes central in the spirituality of St. Catherine and will form an important part of her loving defense of both the priesthood and the papacy, even when human weakness is glaringly evident. For Catherine, holding the keys of the blood is the basis for showing unfailing reverence to the ordained clergy of the church and to tireless dedication to prayer for their conversion and their fidelity. The Father says that the Eucharist is the gift given to provide the body and blood of His Son as both food and comfort for pilgrims, lest they should faint through weakness on the journey of life. Although the food of the Eucharist itself is always perfect, the Father tells Catherine that it gives strength to a person, little or much, depending on the desire of the recipient whether the Eucharist is given sacramentally or spiritually. What the Father calls a virtual communion and what we call spiritual communion is when the Lord's body and blood are received by desire. And the Father tells Catherine that this will be fruitful to the extent that one contemplates the blood of Christ crucified and communicates with Him in the great exchange of love. The Eucharist is so great a gift that as the Father reveals to Catherine, it causes an inebriation of soul in the one who is aware of the reality of the real presence of the Lord and open to his infinite love. And where does deep, holy desire for the Eucharist come from? The Lord says it comes from dwelling in the house of self-knowledge and from persevering in prayer with faith. The Father warns Catherine that if prayer is offered only vocally without attention and love, it will bear little fruit. This does not mean that people should stop praying, but rather that they should strive to rise from imperfect to more perfect prayer. To the extent people are able, they should strive to go beyond mere vocal prayer to vocal prayer joined to mental prayer. By elevating their minds in love, pondering their own littleness and the unfathomable love poured out in the blood of Christ. They should frequently ponder how good God has been to them using the great gift of memory. The Father instructs those who long to pray to recall their sins more in general than in particular. This is an interesting point about the prayer of contrition. He says it's better to repent in general, both because it keeps the focus more on divine mercy than on one's own weakness, but also so that the devil cannot divert them by recalling very graphic scenes of sin from the real goal of praying. He counsels Catherine never to recall sin without also remembering the blood shed for her and the mercy that wipes away all sin. He says that if one looks at sin only, the devil can produce a kind of false and exaggerated contrition that confuses the soul and diverts her from pondering the mercy of God. 
The Lord tells Catherine that this is one of the deceptions the devil uses with those who are striving seriously to live for God, which is why true humility and pondering the blood of Christ and the richness of divine mercy are so important. God further instructs Catherine that the devil can never stand humility since he is the proudest of all beings. Thus, the more she stirs true humility in her soul, the more the devil will flee. That is why it's so important to know in truth both God and one's own soul, why she keeps returning to the theme of dwelling in the cell of self-knowledge. Because the more one ponders his or her own nothingness and total reliance on God, the more humility grows and the more evil is resisted. This practice keeps one in constant humility and full reliance on divine mercy. The Lord tells Catherine if she should have a divine visitation, if it seems that He is moving within her by the power of the Spirit, she could set aside her vocal prayer, but that she should return to prayer, and in the case of the divine office, should always make it up since it's an obligation of her state in life. He points out that if vocal prayer is offered with deep faith and love, it can lead the soul to great perfection. So vocal prayer in itself, saying things, would not be enough. But if a person says their prayers faithfully and strives to be attentive and lovingly focused on the Lord, this can lead to great perfection of soul. If a soul strives sincerely to be purified of selfishness, to know God and self and truth, and to love with all of her being, she will taste deeply when she receives the Eucharist. The Father says to Catherine, it is not many words, but the affection of desire that lifts the soul to God with humble knowledge of self and total reliance on divine mercy. He points out to her that just as the active and contemplative life are really one, so mental and vocal prayer are really one. When we say prayer, we should mean the prayer, and together that prayer is fruitful. Whenever time allows, a person who desires to grow should seek prayer, but never at the expense of failing in the needs of their state in life, and not at the expense of failing to serve the needs of their neighbor. The Father reminds her in this principle we find in the letters of Paul that if a person is prayerfully one with God in their desire, and they are working to serve the good and the true needs of their neighbor, this constant desire to be united to God enables one to pray always. If a person is still very imperfect in love, the Lord tells Catherine that she should persevere in prayer and then strive to know herself in the Lord. If a soul continues to seek what is good, even when consolations are not offered, that soul will be purified of whatever sensuality and selfishness keeps her from perfect love. The Father counsels Catherine that if a soul wishes to rise above imperfection, it should do the following. Await my providence in the house of self-knowledge with the light of faith as did the apostles who remained in the house in perseverance and watching, and in humble and continual prayer, awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. She should remain fasting and watching with the eye of her intellect, fastened on the doctrine of my truth, and she will become humble because she will know herself 
in humble and continual prayer and holy and true desire. When a soul has persevered in prayer, the perfection in her love becomes manifest in that she conquers her sensitive passions and comes to participate in the wisdom of the sun. By participating in divine wisdom, one sees truth and recognizes the deceptions of spiritual self-love that are manifest in clinging to one's own consolation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the soul becomes willing to suffer and goes forth from the place of prayer to exercise virtue toward one's neighbor. God calls this a perfect state, the state of having tasted divine charity in the union of prayer and desiring to give birth to their neighbor's souls in charity. This is a state of perfect with union of God, which can never be separated from true love of neighbor. The Father's revelation of the fullness of charity that unites one to God and is poured forth in service to one's neighbor concludes day 11 in our study of the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. Already it becomes clear that a person who aspires to union with God must devote herself constantly to prayer and must receive with profound faith the Eucharist, which strengthens the soul for the arduous journey of this life and fills her with the charity of God. Next time, we'll continue the treatise of prayer, considering baptism and the growth in the life of grace in the soul, beginning with the subsection, how they who are imperfect desire to follow the Father alone, and continuing with the subsection on how St. Paul was drawn to the glory of the blessed. Until then, may we pray constantly with humble faith. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.